Okay, I think we I think we've got everything now. So anyways, John chapter 19 and verse 29 is where I'd like to read to begin reading. And just before I do that, I I, I just wanted to ask this question. Uh, uh as the Lord was kind of kind of guiding my thoughts through what kind of a lesson and we typically go to Matthew or Luke for the gospel, uh, for the Easter story and sometimes we we leave out uh John's uh, account of the resurrection and so that's just kind of where my mind went and and this morning I hadn't even thought of this question but uh, I had it listed and put down at the very top of the page if I was to ask you today each and every person in here why is the resurrection of Jesus so important if I were to ask you that question would you know what the answer is and I got to thinking about that, and, and I hope that we know the answer, but I, I want you to understand that answer today, if nothing else, uh, as we read this story. Uh, before we read in our text, I just want to read this one verse to you. And it comes from 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17. It says, If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. That's why the resurrection of Jesus is so important, is that is what freed us from the dead of sin that we were living in. There was nothing else that was going to do that. Just simply dying on the cross was just a death, a martyr's death. But when he was raised back to life, now he has the, the chance and the opportunity to forgive us of our sins. And that's what 1 Corinthians was talking about there. So, so if you ever wonder, well, why do Christians talk so much? Why is the, why is the foundation of the Christian faith uh, based so much about the resurrection of Jesus. That's why. If Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, we would still be living in our sins. And we would really have no hope for the future. Amen. And, and I, heard, I heard someone talking this week, and it was, it was very good. Uh, they said that we typically, we typically talk about the things in Christianity that get the most attention, and maybe we'll try to draw other people in. We talk a lot about Christmas. But the Christmas is just a minute part. That's not why Jesus came. He didn't, he didn't come to be uh, all this stuff that we've made Christmas about. He came to die on that cross to save us from our sins. That's why he came. He even told Pilate that. He said, for this reason have I come, to bear witness to the truth. Amen. So as we be getting ready to read in John uh, chapter 19 and verse 29, I'm picking this up right at the moment when Jesus dies. I, I, I was thinking about reading part of, uh, of where he was on trial and all that, but we're very familiar with that. So we just want to talk about the resurrection this morning. So, so in, in uh, John 19 and 29 is where we're going to start reading. And let's pray for the word that we're about to receive this morning before we begin. Amen. I believe it's very important that we, we pray over the message that we're going to hear. Amen. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We ask you, Lord, that as we look into this story, the greatest story ever told is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, as we look at this story today, be with us. Open our minds and our hearts that we may see and we may glean from this message today what it is we need. And maybe we'll be able to share it with others to be an encouragement to them. So, Father, in Jesus' name, bless us as the hearers and bless those that are going to be doing the speaking. And we ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is on the cross. He's been on the cross now for several hours. One of the Gospels says that there was darkness for about three hours. And one of the Gospels talks about an earthquake. And there was a lot of things starting to happen right here at the end of this and where we pick this story up. So Jesus is hanging there 
very weak at this point, almost to die. And so in John 19 and 29, the Bible says this. <clears throat> now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with, with sour wine, put it on a hyssop or like a sponge type thing, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. And this was just simply, uh, crucifixion was a, a cruel, agonizing, long death. And, and if people were lingering too long, they would break their legs so that they wouldn't be able to push themselves up and, and catch their breath and stuff. So it just sped the process along. And that's why they were saying that they wanted them to go ahead and hurry up and do that and so they could get their bodies taken down. Verse 33, But when they had came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows what, that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. And this is simply in verse 35. This is the Apostle John is telling you, I saw this with my own eyes. I witnessed it. I was standing there. Amen. Verse 36. For these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another Scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. Verse 38. It says, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. I always thought that was interesting how uh, Joseph of Arimathea was a follower of Jesus. And now that he'd seen him, he was still hanging there dead on the cross. And he didn't want Jesus to just hang out there like that. He wanted to give him a proper burial. He had enough respect for him. And I always thought it was interesting that Nicodemus was also part of this. If you remember in the beginning of the Gospel of John, who was it that came and asked when Jesus said the famous thing that you must be born again, right? For God so loved his world that he gave his only begotten son. He was speaking because of a question Nicodemus had asked about rebirth. Remember? And so now here at the end of Jesus' earthly life, Nicodemus is also part of this, wanting to give Jesus a proper burial. That's high respect, isn't it? Verse 40, Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had, been, had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. I want you to think a moment before we start reading chapter 20. <clears throat> Put yourself in the disciples' shoes, or maybe even the women who had followed Jesus and had tended to his needs and, and been there, and just all those that had followed him and, and was close with him. At this moment in time, you'd seen him have this mock trial. You'd seen him after he'd been scourged. You'd seen him on the cross, and now you've seen him laid in a tomb. <clears throat> Life was pretty rough for them at that time. Think about it. 
They had all testified and believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But now he's dead. So their faith is shipwrecked. Think about that. Everything they believed about Jesus, they have to start questioning now, well, how is he going to, how can he be the Messiah if he's dead and in a tomb? Talk about a, a day and a half of complete grief. That next day, they called it the Sabbath day, which was what we know to be Saturday. They had to rest and they couldn't do anything. So they just had to think back in all their memories and all those things of what are we going to do now? Some of them, you know, had left everything to follow Jesus. Now he's in the tomb. So that's the mindset of these people. And I want you to see, and the reason I say that is I want you to see that you're going to see when Jesus appears to them here in a little bit how much love he really does have for those that love him. He's not such a hardcore person or a hardcore being like a lot of people portray him. Yes, he's strict. Yes, and he's going to end up judging the world one of these days. But until then, guess what? He offers everybody forgiveness because he loves us. Amen. So that was their mindset. And just kind of put yourself there. When you've lost someone you love, you just don't, you don't think good, do you, for a while. Even if you do go to work, your, your mind's not there. It's, it's somewhere else. So they were having a hard time. Remember that. Now in chapter 20, <clears throat> verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Wonder what her first thought was. I was here a day and a half ago and I saw him put him in there and seal that stone up and now the stone's gone. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And it's speaking of John, the one who's actually writing this. He would never call himself by name. He just said the one whom Jesus loved. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. Verse 4 says, so they both ran together. <clears throat> And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying, lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed. And what he's saying there is that he believed that Jesus really was gone. His body wasn't there. Verse 9 says, For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. wonder what you'd be thinking. This has just added insult to injury. All the grief that they felt, and now all of a sudden they realize somebody came in the middle of the night and rolled this stone away and stole his body, and now we don't have a clue where he's at. And so now they went back to their own house. I'd say there were some moments of real travail there, wasn't it? Especially for people like Peter. You know, he denied even knowing his name, and now he's like, man, I, the last thing I did for Jesus was deny that I knew him. And now all this is going on. Hallelujah. Verse 11. <clears throat> but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. 
And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Talk about grief. She's tore all up, torn to pieces. Now I don't know where he's at. Verse 14 says, Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. She's desperate, isn't she? She didn't even recognize that this was Jesus standing here at this time. If you know where they've taken him, tell me, and I'll go get him, and I'll bring him back and put him in this proper place of burial. That's what I mean. And in verse 16, we see the love of the Savior. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. You know, sometimes in life when things are hard and there's grief, all you need is for the Lord to say your name. It makes all the difference. I've been in some times in my life where it was really hard to go through. Things were just, I didn't understand the things going on. And I was just begging the Lord, Lord, I don't understand. Have I, have I done something wrong to cause this to come about? Or, or why is this person treating me this way? Or whatever the case may be. And you just pray and you seek the Lord. And all of a sudden it's just like one day he comes and tells you his name, Rabboni. And for her this day it was he spoke her name, Mary. And as soon as he said her name, her eyes were opened. And she realized, this is Jesus. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes you just need the Lord to say your name. And he will. He knows what we need, doesn't he? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. I think it's so interesting how we overlook so much sometimes in the Scriptures. Those, those disciples, before they were these great men of faith that spread the gospel around the world, they were the guys that was here hiding, who had denied knowing him, had fled him in the garden when he needed him most, and he got arrested, and they, they fled away for fear and all that stuff. If Jesus was like a lot of people talk about and, and as mean and cruel as a lot of people talk about, Jesus wouldn't have said what he just said. He said, go tell my brethren that I'm getting ready to ascend. One of the gospels says, tell my brethren that I'm going to meet them in a certain place. We fail. We mess up. But guess what? Jesus still loves us. And he still wants to meet with us. Amen. Think about that. Read this again. Let's read that again. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren. He didn't say, Go to them bunch of unbelievers. Go talk to them guys that, that's not worthy for, me to be my, for them to be my friend. He didn't chastise them like that, did he? 
what did he say? Go to my brethren and tell them I'm getting ready to ascend to the Father and to our God. Amen. So Mary went and told him in verse 18 and then in verse 19. Now one of the, one of the uh, uh, other gospels says that they thought that, uh, that Mary was telling them an idle tale. They didn't believe her story even though she said, look, I, I seen him and he called me by name and I, it was him. And they were like, and we would have done the same thing. Think about it. Put yourself in their shoes. We'd have been like, Mary, you're just overcome with grief and, you know, he's gone. But then something interesting happened in these next few verses. Verse 19. Then the same day at evening, <clears throat> being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, <clears throat> where the disciples were assembled, and look at this for fear of the Jews. They were hiding away. They didn't want the Jews to find them because guess what? If you was anything associated with that blasphemer they called Jesus from Nazareth, they're going to be after you too. So they were hiding. They, they didn't have any faith at this time. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. <laughs> you know when you fail somebody or you know, sometimes when I remember being a kid and you disappoint your parents, that was a real hard thing when you realized that you had disappointed your parents. But it was such a relief when they just looked at you and said, don't worry about it, I love you. That's what's going on right here. Jesus had an opportunity. He had every right right here to look at those guys because now not only had they not believed that he rose and he kept telling them he was going to, right? But they didn't understand that. Now Mary had come and said, I saw him. He talked with me. And they still didn't believe. Jesus had every right to scold them, get after them, didn't he? But what's he say? Peace be with you. That's our Jesus. That's our Savior. Praise God. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw <clears throat> the Lord. When you come into relationship with Jesus, you'll be glad. Like I said before, I was glad when I was that little young fella, 11, 12 years old, whatever day. I can't remember exactly the age. But I came into a relationship with Jesus. I didn't understand all the stuff that was involved. I didn't understand a lot about the scriptures. I didn't know a lot of things. But I knew that in essence what was happening, I had seen the Lord. I had experienced the Lord in my life. Just like these guys right here. It said when they saw him, now they're glad. Now we've realized and now we are understanding he really has raised from the grave. Now we know why his body is not in the tomb. It's because he's right here. And we know it's him because he's got nail prints in his hands and he's got a hole in his side where they stabbed him with the spear. He showed them so that they might believe. Right? Hallelujah. Verse 21 so Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And he was giving his disciples the authority of how to, how to structure the church and those kinds of things. Verse 24, Now Thomas called the twin... One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. Very important to remember this verse. 
Thomas was not with these other guys when Jesus made this visitation and showed him his hands and his side, right? He wasn't there. So now Thomas gets an opportunity to be just like the disciples were when Mary told their story. They're going to tell, they're going to tell Thomas their story. The Lord just appeared in the middle of the room. He didn't even come through the door. He was standing there, and it was him, and he talked with us. Now Thomas gets the chance to be just like the rest of us human beings and going to say, I don't believe that. <laughs> this is why a lot of people, when I was growing up, they referred to Thomas as doubting Thomas, but hey, I'm no different than him. I would have been the same way. The disciples were like that just before that, so I'm not going to jump on him about it. <clears throat> so Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see, the hand, uh, see his hands, in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He's just making a simple statement. Look, guys, there's been so much stuff happened. I know that they killed him. And I know that we put him in that tomb and I know he's not there right now. I understand that. But I don't believe that he's still alive. And unless I could touch those scars in his hands where I know them nails went through or if I could even just reach my hand into his side because I know they stuck him with that spear. If I can't do those two things, then I'm not going to believe. And I love this story because it demonstrates that Jesus Christ knows the very intents and thoughts of our hearts. Jesus wasn't in the room when Thomas said this, was he? But guess what? He knew exactly what Thomas had said, and we're getting ready to see that. Amen? So in verse 26, And after eight more days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said once again, Peace to you. So Thomas has spent now eight days living on his statement. Unless I can put my hands in the print of the nails or reach my hand in his side. I love you guys, but I don't believe that he's raised from the dead. That's basically what it was. I'll still associate with you guys and stuff, but I'm not going to believe that Jesus is still alive. 27. Verse 27, we realize that this visit wasn't for the other disciples, was it? His first visit was for all those of the guys that were present that day because they hadn't believed what Mary said. He didn't come for them that day, this day. He came for one guy. His name was Thomas. Because look what he said right after he says, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. How did Jesus know that's what, what Thomas needed? Nobody told Jesus that, did they? Nobody offered a prayer, oh, well, Lord, uh, uh, Thomas is not going to believe in you if you don't come and let him do this. Jesus knows what's in our heart. Amen. And he told Thomas, here, this is what you need to believe. Here, touch it. Put your hand in my side. And after he saw that and, and demonstrated that to him, he said, now, don't be unbelieving, but be believing. Be just like the rest of these guys. Believe that I am alive, that death couldn't hold me. Amen? Amen. 
And in verse 28, we get Thomas's response. What would you respond? That'd be a hard response, wouldn't it? Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. That's about the only response you could make, wouldn't it? You would be speechless other than that, my Lord and my God. Now he knows after eight days, after doubting it, right? After eight days, he for himself has seen and touched Jesus. Hallelujah. You may have hangups about the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember Michelle talking to me one time about a real hangup she had about certain things that was going on with her mom and her health and things. And, and knows all about your hangups and your doubts and your fears and whatever they may be. Yet he still says, peace to you. That he loves us. Amen. Amen. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's you and I. I haven't physically seen Jesus. Never have. But I know he's there. I know he rose from the grave. Hallelujah. And people will say, well, how do you know? I don't know how I know. I can't, I can't play it back on video and show it to you. But somehow I know it's true. And that's why Jesus said, blessed are they who believe and have not seen. Hallelujah. That's you and I. Why do we even fathom that it's true? It sounds so far-fetched that a man could be dead and then brought back to life. But like we read in Corinthians, if he didn't raise, then we're all doomed and we're still dead in our sins, right? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Verse 30, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. We're going to stop with that today. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. He has given us all life through His name and the power of His resurrection. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, we have delivered the words You've given me today. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank You for these words of this story and this account of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, as it was said here today, we have seen, God, that you are so merciful and that you know our fears and our doubts and all our shortcomings. You know you're, you're very aware of those things, but yet you still come to us and say, Peace, be with us. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you came into our life one day and you demonstrated that you were the Savior. And somehow or another, we know that today, Lord. We give you thanks. I thank you, Lord, for each and every person who's heard this message today and will hear it later on. We give you thanks today, Jesus, that you rose from the dead and that we're not still in our sins, that we have been delivered from our sins through the power of the resurrected Christ. Lord, we give you thanks for that today. I pray, Lord, for each and every one that our relationship with you would grow stronger and stronger each day. Lord, not that we just do more stuff, but just that we realize how much you really do love us. 
And we give you thanks for that today, Father. I pray for each and every one that you keep them safe this week and until the next appointed time we meet. And, and, we, and we speak these words that, that was spoken here at the end of our lesson today. Lord, we believe what was written by these apostles and that believe in what they wrote, that we may believe we have life in your name. And we give you thanks for that today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.